Today on our Underground History podcast, anthropologist Chelsea Rose hosts a conversation with Oregon occupational health consultant Avery Foster about toxins that can be found in vintage and museum clothing. You're listening to Underground History, a collaboration between Jefferson Public Radio and the Southern Oregon University Laboratory of Anthropology, or SULA. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and each episode, we take a deep dive into little-known aspects of history in Oregon and beyond. Today, we're going to be discussing the Museum Project, an effort aimed at researching potential hazards in museums and historical societies across Oregon, with the goals of helping them to better understand how to preserve their important and sometimes toxic collections and how to keep the humans that tend them safe. I'm joined by Avery Foster from the Oregon OSHA. Avery, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. So let's start out with talking about how you ended up cruising through these dusty archives <laughs> like a futuristic ghostbuster. And instead of testing for like ectoplasm and stuff, you're actually looking for like vapors and dust and, and those kind of things. So so how did you how did you start this project? Okay, so actually this is a project that's going on nationwide. Federal OSHA asked us to reach out to museums to become a resource for the museums to identify hazards in and out of their collection. Um, They specifically asked consultation to do that. Consultation is a division of OSHA where we provide a free and confidential assistance at the employer's request. Um, So this is just a project that they tasked us to do. That's so cool. And, I, you know, you're primarily looking for safety concerns and workplace safety, but you're also finding a lot of really interesting information that's helping these curational facilities better understand their collections. So I'm just thinking about, you know, of course, most of us wouldn't be expecting there's so many hidden toxins in these collections, but mm-hmm. there's also um, those clues can help people better preserve them for the future. So do you have some examples of some of the things that are the most commonly encountered, um, I guess, hazards that you're you're able to show people that they have stored? Yeah. So first of all, you don't know if an object has a hazard in it just by looking at it, unless, of course, there's like little crystals or something coming off of it. And then that might be a little um, mental note that there could be a chemical breakdown and so a potential, ex- um, not a potential exposure, but there, there could be something hazardous in that object. Um, so um, one thing we do is we assess chemical exposure in the workplace um, and we assess the inhalation exposure um, or in, in the workplace with these objects. So what we did throughout Oregon museums is we tested objects specifically for heavy metals. We can talk more about some of the other hazards in these items, but we tested for heavy metals and then we did air monitoring while testing for heavy metals to see what the employee's exposure is while they're doing very simple handling of those objects. And I guess a lot of us have heard about, you know, the Mad Hatter and the mercury and stuff in felted hats and in feathers and stuff like that. But I had never heard that arsenic was used in the green dye for 19th century dresses. So have you been able to get a read off off some of those types of um, outfits and costumes? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, arsenic dyes, they were super popular from about 1800 to 1900. And it wasn't just in the textiles and the dresses. A lot of people know about those. It's also in the cloth books, and, um, or the, oh. excuse me, cloth book covers and wallpaper. 
Um, and they also used arsenic dyes in like the black mourning dresses. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of dresses, uh, they wanted to maintain their structure. So they also had lead in those dresses. Um, so we found a lot of that. In fact, we sampled um, about 200 objects and almost every single object either had lead, arsenic, or mercury in it. And a lot of those were textiles. Oh, my gosh. So be careful what um, vintage clothing you pick up. (laughs) Yeah, one of the things that I was surprised about was the arsenic in the mirrors. And I remember that a lot. Or mercury, right? Mercury was in the mirrors. Mercury, yes. Yeah. And we, I have a bunch of old mirrors at my house. So what do you, what do you look for to see? I mean, maybe mercury is what makes the mirror reflective, but when does it become a danger if it's not, if it's leaking out of the glass, I guess? Yeah. So that is a good question. And I would say that I haven't assessed uh, a mirror yet, but based on the research I've done, um, if it is leaking out of the, the mirror and cleaning up that silvery byproduct uh, would really create the exposure. Um, so that is actually part of the museum project is to assess that hazard with museum employees when they do come in contact or when, when there is that potential um, for a mercury exposure. Yeah, and in some of the stuff, I, I remember when you were talking about, um, when we've talked before about some of the feathered hats and stuff like that, there are pretty simple ways to mitigate exposure, which is just like put it in a plastic bag. And I remember the first thing I did when I got home was I pulled out all my felted and feathered hats that I got from my grandma and put them in a plastic bag. But um, I mean, how how much do people have to worry about this stuff? Because a lot of these things are found in museum collections, but then of course, some of these things might be antiques and, and personal homes. So when people are thinking about this, what's the best way to um, maybe minimize exposure? Yeah. So to understand that, we need to understand basically the risk and how that um, that exposure can enter into our bodies. We have a few different ways that that exposure could enter into our bodies. We have touching it and having it absorbed through our skin. We have ingestion or like handling an object and then eating a sandwich afterwards. Um, and then we have inhalation exposure. Um, so really good ways to minimize risk is, um, I think the, the very first one is just knowledge. Knowledge goes a long way. And if you have an object, you can research that object to find out what the potential exposures could be. Um, and then there's a few resources that I think are just fascinating. There's um, the British National Archives put out, or they, they tested um, almost 300 Victorian wallpapers uh, and they put pictures of the Victorian wallpapers that had arsenic in them uh, in this book called Bitten by Witch Fever. And then the Poison Book Project, they have a bookmark that you can actually order for free. And it shows the different uh, colors of green that they've tested on dresses that could contain arsenic. Oh, excuse me, on in books that could contain arsenic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So knowledge goes a long way. Um, Another thing is just limiting the amount of time you're spending with those objects um, and and how you're handling those objects. Luckily with museums, and I would suggest this as a home user as well, or as someone that might have something that's hazardous, that's historic, um, you're going to want to um, handle it very delicately. um, Then that will 
just to reduce your exposure because the more you handle it and the more it basically deteriorates, um, the more likely that deterioration is going to be putting it up into your breathing zone. Yeah, making for a lot of these pesticides, making dust and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're listening to Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange. You can find us online at jeffexchange.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and today I'm joined by Avery Foster from Oregon OSHA, and we're talking about all the ways that history is trying to kill us. <laughs> More seriously, though, I mean, one of the most common ways that um, I guess arsenic enters in museum collections, I think, is like taxidermy. So old taxidermy, they would preserve the specimens using, Was it, is it arsenic or mercury, too? It is arsenic, and it's totally dependent on the taxidermist. But believe it or not, there's a few other ways that arsenic enters a collection. And uh, arsenic could be used even in, in, in a historic object that someone might have in their home. Um, so arsenic was used as a pesticide, uh, uh, I'm going to say up until, uh, until about the 70s. Um, in fact, the, the, the National Park Service published a reference of different pesticides that were used in museums from 1926 to the year 2000. Well, and that's the case as well for um, at-home users. Like I've been in a historic house where they had a whole gallon of arsenic and they were just trying to protect the person was probably trying to protect um, their objects from getting eaten by rodents or um, insects. And so that they would put a pesticide such as arsenic on that object. And so that is one thing that we identified is there are a lot of Things that you wouldn't, like a straw hat. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't think a straw hat would have any arsenic on it. Uh, But over the years, at some point, someone applied arsenic to it just to preserve that, likely to preserve that item. Sorry, anything that's a botanical or anything that's really delicate that could be eaten and textiles might potentially have a contaminant on it to preserve the object. Yeah, and that's a good distinction. So there's the stuff, the toxins that are part of the original manufacturing of the item, and then there's the things that are added later to preserve museum collections. Because isn't there like lead or something's in baskets, or maybe it's not lead to to preserve the basketry and stuff? Yeah, oh my goodness. So lead historically has been used in so many different applications. So like, I mean, it's it's been weave throughout history. I mean, it's it's been even in paint until 1978. It was in gas, mirrors. We found it in silk pillowcases and in crayons. So, I mean, lead is a very likely potential exposure or a potential um, risk in objects. And lead originally might have been intentionally used, but now it's inadvertently a contaminant and like even chocolate and stuff I know now. So it's like lead, I guess, is just everywhere from the paint dust and whatever leaded gas that we've just we've made lead in everything now yeah so uh, it could have been a contaminant um and it, it can you know, it can be a contaminant um mainly i now, i don't know about the chocolate um but we did find lead in almost every single thing we tested and of course everything we tested they were historically items that potentially had heavy metals however we did find it in almost everything and we also found it on shelves um, in in cases, um, so basically, as they're as people are moving an object around, uh, that object could deteriorate a little bit and put just just sprinkle a little bit of lead um, underneath where that object was sitting. 
it's shedding. It's everywhere. Oh, great. <laughs> so <laughs> how it was are... in a lot of the processes. It, yeah. was, it really was. I mean, they put it in everything. Oh, man. So how are you testing stuff? You want to talk a little bit about the equipment that you're using to do this? Yeah. So um, we, we, we started with testing with a, um, an x-ray machine, basically. And the x-ray machine top, uh, tests the very top surface of an object. Um, and as, like I said, as we're testing, we're also monitoring the air just to have an idea if there's any kind of exposure. Um, and so we, we just tested the objects and then, and then tested the exposure along with those objects. And there's other ways to test for different pesticides. That's just for heavy metals, for lead, arsenic, and mercury. We also had like a mercury vapor monitor and the mercury vapor monitor, um, was really interesting and surprising the items that we found that were still off-gassing mercury. I mean, we're talking about items or objects that were 150 years old and to this day are still off-gassing mercury. Like you mentioned, the hats. The hats were a big one. Almost every hat we tested had a heavy metal in or on it. Yeah. Ah, yeesh. And what, what are you hoping to look at next? I mean, I know that you've been kind of devising guidelines, I guess, for museums to mitigate these risks and to think about these risks when accessioning new collections. But what are, you know, you've did the heavy metals, but what are some other things that you're hoping to, to look at next? Oh, so as I mentioned, there's so many different types of pesticides. So there's a few other heavy hitters that we're, we're hoping to look at and evaluate employees' exposure to. But it's, it's not really just the pesticides that we're looking at, we're all we're really looking at the employees' exposure, and what we hope to do is assess the higher um, potential for exposure tasks or the higher risk tasks. For instance, we have coming up where a conservator is changing out a display case, um, and we would like to assess that task. So we have found and we have tested a few display cases where they've been sealed for, say, this this one that I'm about to talk about was sealed for seven years. So people walking by may not have an exposure. However, the employees that are changing out these display cases would have an exposure to what we're about to talk about. So <laughs> what in this case I'm talking about is uh, mercury vapor. So, and it was a barometer or multiple barometers. So they have mercury in the barometers and we knew that going in and that's why we were testing that display case. But what we didn't realize is that those barometers were open to the air. So that means they're just vaporizing the in, for the entire seven years. And then a museum employee is going to go in there and open up that display case mm. and move them. Yeah, so that's what we're doing is we're assessing that type of exposure. The things that could cause more of an acute problem, um, because you have different types of exposures. You have an acute, like an instantaneous exposure, and then you could potentially have like a long-term every single day exposure. So that's, that's what we're focusing on in January. And on that high, high note, I guess we have to wrap up. But oh my gosh, Avery, thank you so much. And hopefully all the listeners aren't too freaked out by history. Like you said, knowledge is is the best way to kind of mitigate those risks, understand what you have and use common sense, I guess, to, and and maybe don't wear that, that green dyed dress. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. And that wraps up this episode of Underground History. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose. Our producers are Angela Decker and Charlie Zimmer. You can find this and past episodes wherever you get your podcast.